You're listening to a Weeby Geeks Network podcast. Another world, another time, in the age of wonder. There was once a dream, you could only whisper it. Anything more than a whisper, and it would vanish. A battle between good and evil. You don't know the power of the dark side. Where shall I find a new adversary so close to my own level? Try the local sewer. You know of the rebellion against the Empire? The Avengers, Earth's mightiest heroes. Peace means having a bigger stick than the other guy. One of these days, I'm going to have a stick of my own. I'm Groot. Welcome to the Neverland Podcast. The podcast for lovers of Disney, Pixar, Marvel, and Star Wars. I'm glad you're here to tell us these things. Please welcome your host, Jeremy. I thought he'd be taller. Yeah, I can fly. All it takes is faith. Trust. Well, if it isn't the Star-Spangled Man with a plan, what is your plan today? Up to Neverland! Take your pixie out of your pockets, sprinkle some pixie dust around, in fact, at least 200 grams of pixie dust, because it's a big flight today of 200 episodes! That's right, we're going to do 200 episodes back-to-back. We're going to be on here for hours, days, weeks, months, until we hear all 200 episodes. No, I'm kidding. But this is it, our 200th episode of the Neverland Podcast. So grab that happiest thoughts and let's fly. And as you heard, Eric is here too. Howdy! Oh, and I forgot to mention, I'm the Spider-Pan Jeremy. I'm your typical person that, if you didn't know who I was, that means this is the first time you've ever listened. Which And you've got 200 more shows to listen to. Yeah, which uh, I guess this is a good time to mention. I am working on um, trying to build things up with Patreon. I'm, I'm working on maybe having only about maybe a season's worth of episodes available on iTunes and putting the older episodes up on Patreon for if you, do, if you donate just at least a dollar a month, you will have access to all those old episodes. I'm planning on doing something like that. I'm kind of working on it. I'm also thinking about all that great ride audio that we've gotten from, from Eric and from Jesse uh, that we've played in previous episodes. I'm going to just have that ride audio and throw that up exclusively for our Patreon patrons for just a dollar a month you get access to these things as I get them posted. Uh, but I'd really like to get that Patreon to, to build up here because uh, that I could really use it. But I know we've got some new people. In fact, I think we've got a new person who's probably listening right now that I've talked to. As typical, I talk to a lot of people on an Uber and Lyft and I find Disney fans in there and uh, I give them my card. And so I've, there's a whole lot of you who are probably listening because you rode with me. And I know at least one person who's going to be new this week that she has a really cool job too. I don't know what her job was, but I picked her over, picked her up over at the Chiefs training camp area over here by Arrowhead. So I'm like, she's probably got a really awesome job. So... <laughs> So welcome. Uh, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> glad to have you. Yes. You know, Jeremy, I learned something about Kansas City this week. Uh, hopefully it'll be something good. Uh, I think it is. Uh, tied to Disneyland history, I learned that there were models of the rocket ship from Tomorrowland, uh, actually two different models that were in Kansas City. Yeah, and I've always thought they were kind of weird looking, but there's these TWA rocket ships that I've seen one on top of a building, and I think I've seen one. There's a TWA museum kind of near a downtown airport uh, that uh, is mainly used for private planes and things like that, and some news planes, and I've seen it over there, but I had no idea this was connected to Disney history. 
I'm really incredible. Um, There's an article out there uh, by Werner Weiss of Yesterland. Recommend uh, if you're interested, go ahead and uh, Google it and check it out because it's really interesting history of uh, how these models came to be in Kansas City and what happened to them and where they're at now. Yeah, I mean, there's there's history here in Kansas City that uh, I think a lot of even our locals miss out on here with the Laughagram Studios. But that's actually something I don't know that I would know as much about if I hadn't started this podcast nearly four years ago. And we're coming up on a four-year anniversary. But, I mean, through 200 episodes, uh, I've grown as uh, I've become better at podcasting. If you hear that first episode, it's golly awful in, in a lot of aspects. You know, and it it took, I don't even remember how many episodes it took before I decided, you know what, I am such a Disney fan and I keep talking something that's related to Disney. I guess this is a Disney show after all, you know, Uh, but I have grown so much through doing this and it's really been life changing. I've gotten to talk to so many amazing people that I was just amazed they were, they were willing to come on the show and have a conversation with this nutball who uh, is just figuring out what he's doing sometimes. Uh, so it's 200 episodes. It's been a great experience. I, I only thought maybe I might possibly ever get this far, but I never dreamed I'd actually get it. And I'm like, I, and I'm not even done. I mean, we're, I'm, we're still going. Most definitely. So how about you? What's it? How's? Of course, you're not in all 200 episodes, but <laughs> what's it been like for you? You know, it's it's been great. Uh, you know, if there's anything that I'm happy to get and talk about, it's all things Disney. So it has been great uh, ever since uh, we got to sit down and talk about uh, Inside Out a couple of years ago. Uh, to everything that uh, we've done, we've had the chance to you know, work together face to face there in Kansas City and and get to spend some time, you know, talking about Walt and getting to visit the, you know. Even if it was just driving past, at least you were able to take me over to Laughgram Studios. You know, it, it's been great, and I'm so excited to know what's coming up in the future. Yeah, and hopefully next time you come down, it won't be downpouring rain, so we can actually stop and get out of the car. Because <laughs> it was such a downpour after Planet Comic Con that we were like, "Look, it's right over there, Eric, right there. You see it? Isn't that cool?" And you know, if I if I'd have been thinking, if I'd have just kept driving straight there on 31st Street, I could have taken you over to the house on Bellefontaine. Oh, goodness. Well, you know what? It it was just great enough uh, being able to see this color called green. (laughs) Because out here in the desert, it's all brown. Oh yes, and you know that's that. I, it was kind of fun with that when you know got into town and we actually got you out into uh, some sunlight because yeah, you arrived in the night, so you didn't get a good look. But in the sunlight, and you said, "Wow, you know, I love how green everything is around here." And I realized I really take it for granted that, that it's nice rolling hills and stuff, and how beautiful it is actually around here. Well, you know, the the desert has its own brown beauty. Yeah, but. Uh... <laughs> But no, it's been great, and I'm so glad that uh, I've been able to uh, share in your podcast and and be with the be with the team and uh, be able to participate. Yeah, and uh, we've had a lot of great helpers throughout the years. I mean, we've had uh, Jesse, of course, Lost Boy Jesse, which I haven't talked to him in a long time. I still talk to him on Facebook all the time, but uh, you know, haven't been able to have him on the show. And of course, we mentioned he's got his, his new son. Uh, and then, of course, my wife Heather, which I thought I was going to have her more regular, uh, and I even recorded the this nice little ending of the show with Heather, and she hasn't been on the show since I don't even know when, <laughs> but you hear every week. 
So, but uh, she wants to do something in October here. So I'm hoping in October she's going to be with us. And oh my gosh, October is going to be huge. Uh, and we're just oh, getting yes. into October. Uh, but if you love some of the great goofy songs around Halloween, like from the 50s, 60s, or movie themes and stuff, you're going to want to tune in and hear some of your favorite podcasts. And Or even if you're not familiar with these podcasts, they're going to become your favorites as all these different podcasters are going to come in and help share some of their favorite Halloween songs. And even a new friend uh, that she's got something cool. In fact, she's got a GoFundMe I'm going to put in the show notes. She's got a great singing voice. Uh, you can I'll, I'll put the YouTube link up too. Uh, but she's doing some Disney covers and she's working on an album, but she needs to raise funding because you have to pay for licensing and all this other stuff. It's going to be great. So I'm going to put up a link for the GoFundMe plus a YouTube link where she did a cover of Why Don't You Do Right? And you'd almost think she really, I mean, she's just embodied Jessica Rabbit when she sung it. It's amazing. Uh, but she'll be coming on later to this month. October is going to be great. And I even got even more plans in November. I mean, I'm, I'm so excited about where we're going to go from beyond 200 episodes and finishing off our fourth season and starting our fifth season here at the beginning of, de- of December. I mean, there's just... And I've, I've still got, like, all this convention audio that I actually never got around to sharing because there's always something I get excited about every week that I'm like, oh, look, did you know what's happening in the parks? And, oh, my gosh. So I I don't see this ending anytime except for, you know, if I get a solid career and I get to do this and I get paid to do it, then, I, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> who knows what happened? If I get hired on a radio station, if I, if I got to where I had a complete control over my show, which some morning shows do, and I need a co-host, I might be like, hey, Eric. You, know, you never know. You're moving to Kansas City, <laughs> or wherever I happen Let's to see end up what we can at. do. Oh yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> that would be. I would actually love to work in morning radio, and some morning radio shows do get big enough to where they have their complete budget, and whoever's running the show gets to hire whoever he wants to work on the show. And like, if I could create a morning show that was like this, that would be awesome. Oh yeah, definitely. So good conversation. Well, you know, geeking out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, definitely. Now let's go to the top 40. Oh, yes. <laughs> Which, that's that actually should be a good shirt idea that we should have, you know, you know Lost Boy Eric. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, well, I've got two trademarks. Definitely. And no worries. <laughs> we, I should get on that. I'm learning how to use Adobe <laughs> Illustrator. And I'm I'm actually working on a, a new logo for the fifth season. Because if you've looked at this fourth season, I really like this logo. But I am really running the risk of ticking off the Disney lawyer machine. So I'm going to I'm working on an illustrator to kind of draw a new castle, uh, thinking of using instead of turrets some microphones that might be kind of fun to help oh. go with that. Uh, which I'm actually going to do this as part of a project in my classes because uh, I'm advertising also Neverland Radio on UCM the Beat. Download the app UCM the Beat, search for it in Google Play, Apple iTunes, and you can listen every day at four o'clock when I get to play some Disney music that I'm per- perfectly licensed to do. So. There's just so much going on in my life right now, and it's it's all because of doing this podcast. Well, you know what? It's been a great uh, 200 episodes, but today's show, I think, is going to be one of the best. Oh, yes. We had a fantastic conversation, which uh, we're almost back to the future here because we already finished the conversation, and now we get to talk Marty. about it. 
<laughs> Marty, we talked to Dr. Jeff Barnes, author of The Wisdom of Walt, and he's got his new book, which is just releasing now, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt. And uh, I couldn't think of anything more fun to do for a 200th episode because I really I had no idea where to go with other than to share how special it's been and maybe do business as usual. But to have a guest on and knowing that, I mean, he's got a book and it's, well, he'll tell you, it's coinciding with some very special dates. So uh, I guess we better just get on with it and let's go talk to Dr. Jeff Barnes. Keep a pixie in your pocket. The Neverland Podcast. NeverlandPodcast.com. All right, now it's fun to do special things for a 200th episode. And what I thought would be really fun is actually have a returning guest from episode 88 two years ago. My goodness. Uh, but there was this great book that came out, The Wisdom of Walt, by Dr. Jeffrey A. Barnes. Uh, and I'll just read it from the dust jacket. He is an author, professional keynote speaker, which I have watched some of his videos. He's got a YouTube channel. You can find it on his website. Uh, higher education administrator, university professor, and leadership success coach. He has taught more than 20 different college courses in both the traditional classroom and online, including the history of Disneyland at California Baptist University. Jeff lives in Riverside. California with his family, and when he is not teaching or writing, he enjoys spending as much time as possible at the happiest place on earth. So, welcome back, Dr. Jeff Barnes. And I like to call him Doctor, even though he doesn't put it on the, the, the cover, but you earned it, man. <laughs> well, first of all, congratulations on your 200th episode. That is awesome, and I am honored to be uh, your guest for, uh, for what is really an awesome occasion. Oh yeah, and especially because I'm I'm learning so much even from the wisdom of Walt, and I'm I'm eager to dive into the second book now. Which, because I'm in textbooks, Eric has gotten to read the second book, so I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> well, you know, if you would take my history of Disneyland class, you would be able to use the wisdom of Walt as a textbook. How awesome would that be? And I I'm at the University of Central Missouri, which I just started actually since the last time I spoke to you. Uh, and I thought, you know, we have this study abroad thing where we try to send students overseas. I'm like, can I be sent to California for the summer and attend a class over there? But I don't think they'd go for it. I don't know. Yeah, um, I, I know that California is foreign to a lot of people in the Midwest, but I don't know that they would quite count it towards study abroad. <laughs> Probably not, but oh, I'd, I'd love to take the class because uh, I'm really digesting a lot in this book. So I'm expecting, you know, with the first book here, of course, it was focused on things you can learn from Disneyland and Walt Disney's influence in there. And even, uh, you know, Mickey Mouse as a Walter Ego, which that's I'm, I'm I kind of keep reading that chapter. That's kind of been mind blowing <laughs> for me. Uh, and in fact, I think I've discovered my Walter Eager actually doing this show. I feel like this Spider Pan person that I have here is that Walter Ego, and I am now pursuing it because of this Walter Ego uh, going to school and pursuing a new path. So I'm like, that, that chapter really resonated with me. Awesome. So now we have Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, and uh, from what I've seen of it, this seems to be more focused on Walt Disney World. It is. In, in fact, uh, the book releases uh, on Sunday, October 1st, and it's specifically timed uh, to coincide with Epcot's 35th anniversary, uh, October 1st, 1982, and the opening of the entire Walt Disney World Resort and Magic Kingdom, October 1st, 1971. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, <laughs> that's pretty genius. <laughs> 
because I mean, we've been pretty focused on the Epcot 35 years because that's the main anniversary, I guess, that they've been posting up about, and that's pretty exciting. But yeah, that's right, the main park also. So yeah, I think um, I, Epcot 35 seems to be the big deal this year, and uh, and then we're going to see a big push uh, for the 50th anniversary in 2021. Mm-hmm. I'd hope so because it seems sometimes Walt Disney World gets like, oh hey, we've we've got a big anniversary. Yeah, it's been forty five years. Well, that's nice. Right. <laughs> they just kind of push it aside, like, yeah, but it's not Disneyland, and it's like, well, Walt Disney World is cool too. Well, it is cool, and it's funny because I I, I write about this in the second book. Even though I started out in Florida and started my love for Disney parks at Walt Disney World. I genuinely believe that Disneyland as the original Magic Kingdom and as the only park that Walt ever actually walked in, that it really was the only source for motivation, inspiration, leadership, and life lessons. And after I was done writing The Wisdom of Walt, I started reading on Walt Disney World, and man, um, the the history is just as interesting. Uh, Some of the stories are even more intriguing. And I quickly discovered there are equal number, um, different but equal number of life and leadership lessons. And so it didn't take long to realize, you know, Walt Disney World needs its own version of the Wisdom of Walt. And that's what Beyond the Wisdom of Walt is all about. So do you actually find some wisdom we can learn from Roy Disney? As a matter of fact, we do. Um, So I I made sure that, that Roy got highlighted in a couple of chapters. A lot of folks don't realize Walt died six months before they ever broke ground in Florida. And Roy put off retirement so that he could make sure that his brother's final wish came true. And it was Roy who insisted that they call it Walt Disney World as opposed to just Disney World. And then Roy himself died only two months after the Magic Kingdom opened. Uh, Magic Kingdom opened again October of 71, and then Roy passed away in December of, of 1971. And so you're going to find Roy highlighted um, more than one time in the book, because without Roy, I mean, not only is Walt not a success, and not only does Disneyland not ever happen, but Walt Disney World especially doesn't happen if it's not for Walt's older brother, Roy. Yeah, and it's been very fun, actually. I drive for Uber and Lyft here in Kansas City to make money while I'm going to school. And having people who come into Kansas City and being able to share the story of the Laugh-O-Gram Studios and all the fun that happened there, but yet it didn't fully launch the Disney company until Walt went back to Burbank and joined with Roy to get the Disney company started. So Roy has such a great role as being the business um sense. Yeah, the, the difference between Laughagram Studio in Kansas City and the Disney Studio in Burbank, the difference is Roy. Yep. Uh, he was, was practical, he was business-minded, and as, as much as he frustrated Walt, Walt doesn't become the success and the household name that we know today if it's not for Roy. And, and I think my favorite story in, in the book about Roy is in the chapter dealing with doubters. And, and I write about how, you know, Roy could be someone that doubted what Walt was up to next. And I get to tell a couple of those stories and then end it with the statue of Roy on Main Street at the Magic Kingdom reminding the readers that yes you've got doubters in your life yes you've got naysayers in your life but if you stay true to your dreams 
and listen to some of the wisdom and some of the counsel that those doubters might in fact be giving you, they'll come full circle and be your biggest fans and be your biggest supporters at the end of the day. Yeah. One of the things. Go ahead. Oh, uh, one of the things that I really liked is that you pointed out that uh, the person who held ticket number one for Disneyland (laughs) was Roy Disney. Yeah, in fact, uh, when I when I do um, a, a lot of my professional speaking presentations, I, I like to end with that story because you know, we all have dreams, and yet we all have those doubters and those naysayers. And when it came to Walt's dream for Disneyland, his own wife, Lily, didn't believe in it and didn't want it, and his brother, Roy, didn't believe in it and didn't want it. And yet, the first person to spend the first dollar to buy the first ticket to get into Disneyland was Walt's older brother, Roy. And when it came to Walt Disney World, Roy wanted to stop buying land and writing checks somewhere around ten to 12,000 acres. And Walt had to keep reminding him, you know, hey, what would a couple of thousand acres look like right now at Disneyland in Anaheim? And so as Walt kept finding more land, Roy reluctantly kept writing more checks. But after Walt died, um, it, it, it was Roy who, who saw that to fruition at least phase one and so you know the world and the company and the family owe Roy a a great debt for his service yeah and one thing I think beneficial that a a doubter can be is help you to identify a problem and then you figure out a way that you can get around that problem absolutely Um, you know uh, there's going to be doubters who have their own agenda and their own motives and a lot of those individuals, they don't want to see your dream come true because they've given up on their dream. And if that's what you're facing, you, you need to just move on past them and, and, and know that, that your dream's you know, better than whatever the criticism is that you're receiving. But, and I, and I write about this in the Dealing with Doubters chapter, there are going to be a few folks in your circle who have your best interests at heart and are trying to keep you grounded. I know for me, that that's my wife, Nikki. Um, she doesn't tell me what I want to hear all the time. She tells me what I need to hear. And one of those life lessons is being able to separate out, you know, who, who is a naysayer and it's their own motive and their own agenda versus someone who genuinely has your best interests at heart. Yeah, wives are very good for that. My wife does the same thing for me. She just <laughs> deals with all the crazy stuff because she's not the Disney addict that I am because uh, she's never been sure. to any of the parks. And Walt Disney World is actually the park that turned me from being somebody who loved the movies, absolutely adored the movies and the and the television shows, to being a fanatical person where you, it becomes this obsession. And so she doesn't quite understand that, but yet she she knows what I do with the podcast. She sees me going back to school and what the podcast has done for me to find a purpose in a career and overcome you know my villain with my Walter ego. Uh, I love quoting that. Sorry, <laughs> but uh, she's she supports me, backs me up, and also asks those questions like, "Have you thought of this? Are you prepared to deal with this?" So, yeah, yeah. wives are awesome for that. They always have our backs. Yeah, and we need to get you guys out to California. Let's give her one of our tours of Disneyland with Nikki and me. We'll turn her into a fan in less than an hour. Oh, yes. Even an introvert, I'm sure she could have fun in a crowd. Give her the right situation. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to toss a let Eric ask another question. Yeah, um, 
First off, I, I really got to admit, uh, this book came to me at a great time in my life. I've been studying different management styles, studying different leadership styles. I've been reading uh, Ken Blanchard and Simon Sinek. And really to have the opportunity to see how uh, Walt you know, led his team, led his groups, uh, just in the development of his studio, then on to the park, and then on to his dreams for Epcot, and to see that vision change after his death, um, it, it's really interesting. Uh, what did you find to be the main challenge in uh, researching and looking beyond Walt Disney's influences you were writing? I, I think one of the greatest challenges in the second book was was really a question of focus. And, and what I mean by that is when you're writing about Walt Disney and Disneyland, uh, you know, Walt's a very specific person and Disneyland is a very specific place. Well, after he died in December of 1966... You have a number of different leaders and a lot of different Imagineers who picked up the mantle and helped make Florida possible. And so when you're writing a book based on uh, Walt Disney World and the leaders who helped make that dream possible, well, first of all, you don't have just one park to focus on. It's not just a Magic Kingdom. There's Epcot. There's Animal Kingdom. There's Hollywood Studios. There's all of the different resorts. And again, with Walt gone, you know, who's going to provide the lead quotes? Is it going to be Roy? Is it going to be someone like Marty Scalar? You know, is it going to be someone like Tony Baxter? And so figuring out, quite frankly, a lot more pieces to a larger puzzle was was one of the greatest challenges in Beyond the Wisdom of Walt. And I wanted to make sure... Um, I wanted to make sure that every park had a reference and every park had a story. I wanted to make sure that, you know, at least a water park got in there. And I wanted to make sure, you know, that there was some uh, due given uh, to the various resorts. And we managed to do that, but it, it, it wasn't always easy. It, it felt a lot more like a shotgun than, say, the rifle approach in the original book focused on Walt and Disneyland. Was there anything in your research that surprised you? Um, I, I think what really struck me is I, I always knew um, from having you know read about Walt and learning and knowing the history of Disneyland, I always knew that that place where a parent and children could have fun together, I knew that was a dream. And, and I knew that no one really saw that dream and really believed in that dream the way that Walt did. What really struck me about Walt Disney World is it's more than a dream. It's actually a miracle. Because when you think about building a, a, an amusement park, granted the first theme park, but at its core, it's an amusement park, 30 miles south of Los Angeles in 1955, that's not nearly the monumental effort that it was to build Walt Disney World at 27,440 acres outside of Orlando in Central Florida in the middle of the 1960s because Orlando in, in 1965, 1966 was nowhere near the size and scale and scope of Los Angeles. I mean, it was, um, it, it, it was a backwoods, backwater town. And, you know, what they had to do to prepare the site just so they could build it, it just, it, it, it boggles the mind. And so again, what really struck me is, you know, Disneyland is is that dream, but man, Walt Disney World. And then throw in the idea that Walt himself dies before they ever break ground. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just, it's a miracle that it ever got built, let alone became what it is today, you know, the world's most popular vacation destination. 
Yeah, and I, I love the way that uh, most people would have seen a bunch of wetlands and a bunch of swamp that's pretty much useless other than wildlife. But Walt looks at it and says, this could be a park. Uh, oh. That's that's something I think that we can look at even as a good leadership thing to say, you know, we can look at something that looks like an entire mess, but we have to be able to look at what something could be despite of what its yep. outward appearance is. And I, that's always it, it, been a lesson. Yeah, it's that vision piece in leadership. And you have people, you know, Bill Sullivan will say, you know, Walt brought me here when he was trying to buy the property. And I looked at it and I thought, he's going to do this thing here? God love him. And, you know, there's an interview of, of Lily when they're opening Epcot. And they ask her, what did you think of the land when Walt was buying it? And she just blurts out, oh, I, I thought it was the most horrible piece of property I'd ever seen in my life. Um, you know, and it, But again, there's this great story that I actually tell in the first book. And that is when Roy goes to the platform to give the opening day dedication for Magic Kingdom and Walt Disney World in October of 1971... There's a cast member who leans over to another cast member who had worked with Walt and says, you know, it's it's really sad that Walt isn't here to see this. And the cast member who knew Walt so well replies back, Walt Disney did see it, and that's why it's here. Mm. Ooh, that's deep. Wow. <laughs> and especially, you can never say, while you're in the parks, you can never say that Walt isn't there. Oh, no. His touches are there. Yeah, he... He, he touches he touches everything and um, I, I think has had more influence on not just Orlando or Central Florida but quite frankly more influence on the state of Florida than any other individual yep had a habit mm-hmm. of doing that he did <laughs> <laughs> he, he, he cut a wide swath yeah and I can only imagine what might have happened had he actually built what he envisioned Epcot to be of this city of tomorrow who knows what we you know, could have achieved? I, I write about that because mm-hmm. when um, readers of the first book found out that I was going to do a follow-up and it was going to focus on, on Walt Disney World, I had a number of them reach out to me and and say, make sure you let people know what Epcot was supposed to be. You know, make sure, uh, you know, readers find out, you know, how disappointed the world is in what uh, the Disney company ultimately did with Walt's dream of Epcot. And so in the second chapter of the book, which is titled um, Learning to Let It Go, I write about Walt's death, but I also write about the death of the original dream of Epcot and how, yeah, it was a wonderful vision. And would it have worked? I don't know. Um, We're not ever going to know. But here's what I do know. When Nikki and I are at Walt Disney World, our favorite thing to do is to take a stroll in the evening around the World Showcase Lagoon. And so my point to all of that is um, the Epcot that Walt wanted never got built. And in order to actually enjoy what we do have, which I think is amazing, we, we probably need to let go what happened back in the 1960s and 1970s. And the truth of the matter is, Walt almost gets a pass here. First of all, he tells us in the Epcot film, which was his final film, that everything that he's showing you is going to change. And even before he died, it was already changing. So, for example, uh, you know, there were memos in his own handwriting where they had talked about permanent residents living in Epcot. 
and he scratches that out and puts temporary residence because he recognized that if people owned property in his city of tomorrow, they were inevitably going to get voting rights and he would lose the control that he was seeking. So even before he died, Epcot was already evolving. If he had lived, would it have ended up being closer to what he had envisioned? Probably so. But that doesn't mean that what opened 35 years ago isn't amazing and isn't a whole lot of fun. Yeah, and that's when I was there at Walt Disney World, our feet were so tired that I barely really got to experience everything that Epcot has. And uh, but, but even what I saw was really impressive, and especially at Spaceship Earth. I just absolutely adored that. Yeah, and a lot of people think it's just this giant-sized golf ball. <laughs> I can't tell you the number of people in California who you know have gone to Walt Disney World, which is a little foreign because we're so accustomed to Disneyland, and they call it this golf ball thing. <laughs> and even though they've been to Epcot, they have no clue that there is an amazing attraction inside Spaceship Earth. They missed it entirely. Oh yeah, no, heck, I didn't know even. I was like, "What? The, we're, we're going inside the golf ball?" <laughs> I remember <laughs> being like that. And then exactly. once you get inside and you and you experience it, I mean, you you go through like nearly all of human history in the course of about five minutes, and it you, does you do. give you hope for what we could possibly achieve in the future with technology and communications. It's amazing. It, it, it does, and I use Spaceship Earth as the focal point for a chapter in the new book entitled "Communicating Clearly," and you know the importance of being able to communicate clearly matters in life it matters to your success it matters to your dream it matters to your relationships and that history is what the attraction is trying to teach us and i use a lot of like communication stories and communication lessons to connect with the reader so that we can all improve our ability to communicate with one another yeah. one of the things that i really enjoyed about that chapter was that uh, you pointed out that there's a vision statement for Disneyland every time we go under the train tracks. Yes. Yeah, so, um, and it's not just at Disneyland, it's at the Magic Kingdom uh, as as well. So, you know, Walt wrote in his own words, you know, here you leave today and enter the land of, you know, fantasy and tomorrow, I think it is. And the the point to that is, it's a 13-word vision statement statement and it's very simple and we all recognize them as the words that hang over the tunnels as you come into the magic kingdom and you know companies you know it's it's a big thing today you got to have a vision statement whether you know it's a corporation or even an individual business and yet if you stop and ask people well can you tell me what your vision statement is most people can't because we've made it way too long and way too complicated and so if 13 words is all that Walt needed for his vision statement to his Magic Kingdom, maybe that's a message to us communicating, hey, your vision statement doesn't need to be more than 13 words either. Wow, that's something I think I could spend a lot of time on trying to get a vision statement to be like a short of really, you know, a plan and a goal. Now exactly. I think about it. Yeah, short, shorter is actually more difficult than longer. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's more focused, so that's for sure. Absolutely. So do you think the uh, the current Disney company, uh, do you think they're still going with Walt's mission statement? Or do you feel like they've found more ways to make more money and it's become the almighty dollar around there? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I, I have a chapter in the new book entitled <laughs> Financing Your Future. 
and I talk about how, um, you know, the number one complaint I get as I travel the country talking about the Wisdom of Walt and soon beyond the Wisdom of Walt, number one complaint, why is it so expensive? And yet, the number two complaint is, geez, why is it always so crowded? Well, wouldn't that be a great business problem to have? <laughs> it, you know, people all the time are like, nobody can afford to go to Disneyland. Well, every time I go, it feels like everybody in Southern California is at Disneyland. So the, 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 the price of what it is to get into the parks has always been an issue. I was really fortunate. I came across an interview that Walt gave to the Saturday Evening Post a year after the first park opened. And he deals with the issue of price. And how much it costs isn't new uh, today. Walt was, you know, battering those concerns back, you know, just a year after the park opened. So the, the bottom line is they're going to charge what the market allows. That's yeah. what it means, um, you know, in the, in the you know free enterprise system. That's what it means to be uh, an American. And, you know, people are in awe when they find out, you know, that it only costs a dollar to get into Disneyland back in 1955. Well, if we're honest with ourselves, we would not want that price to only be a dollar in 2017. The gates would be closed by 9.30 in the morning. <laughs> yeah. If that. yeah, so you have to find that nice balance of trying to keep, you know, enough where the crowds are low enough where everybody has a chance to enjoy every dollar that they spent to get there. Uh, mixing with trying to keep that price level where people are encouraged and you know, it feels like a lot of people are getting discouraged because, you know, it's like I, I know that on my income, but I'm changing that. My income where it stands now, there's no way I could afford another trip, but I'm working towards that. So that gives me a personal goal that I'm going to achieve a higher level of success. And then I'm going. I'm going to get yeah. me an annual pass if I have to. So then I'll just have to pay the plane fare back and forth. And I, I'm not going to tell you it's not expensive, but the challenge is everything's expensive these yep. days. And. Uh, there was a, a, a piece that uh, ran in the Orange County Register about a year ago that compared the daily prices to Disneyland, say, to a baseball game, to an NFL game, uh, to a ski lift ticket, or to a Broadway show. And quite frankly, I think Disneyland, um, dollar for dollar, is a much greater value, and I would yeah. argue Walt Disney World. Yeah, that's why when it comes to planning, like, oh, hey, where should we should go for a vacation? And I'm like, yeah, sure, we could go, and we could go see, I don't know, a state park somewhere, go see, uh, I don't know, some big major thing. But I feel like I'm going to get more out of my time and money if we go to a Disney park. <laughs> Even yes. if I turn it into every vacation for the rest of my life, once I can afford it, I think yeah. I'm going to get more value out of it. Yeah. Although there's things I'd like to see around the country otherwise, but, you know. <laughs> and I think what we have to separate is um, – Walt Disney, the the person from the Disney company, and the Disney company is a publicly traded stock company, and at the end of the day, they answer most often and most frequently to those stockholders, and is you know, not everything that they do is perfect, not everything that they do, you know, is exactly what Walt would have done, you know, 50 plus years ago, but they're not the largest entertainment company on the planet by accident. And it, it's, it always amazes me because, um, you know, people who never met Walt, never knew Walt, never worked with Walt, just presume that they would that they know what Walt would do in 2017. And yet you talk to the people who knew him and worked with him every day. They'll be the first ones to tell you, I never had 
any idea what he was going to do next. <laughs> well, one thing's for sure. He liked to take risks, and Pandora was definitely a risk. You had a lot of people when they first announced it, they were like, oh, why are you doing that? And I'm, I'm, I'm not even interested in the film. But I kept saying on the podcast, whether you're interested in that film or not, they're going to build something amazing right there, and it's going to be amazing when they get it done, and you're going to love it. And I feel like I've been right. It's They took a risk on something that, you know, granted, you know, granted it was a commercial success, that film, but... It, it turned out to be this amazing thing. I've heard such wonderful things about this new Pandora land that even not, even not being a fan of the film, I want to go and check it out, and I'm sure I'm going to enjoy the Dickens out of it. Well, I can tell you, Nikki and I could not care less about Avatar, and when we were going to Animal Kingdom uh, and into Pandora for the first time in July, we rewatched the movies just to make sure we hadn't missed something. And quite frankly, we liked it even less the second time and <laughs> we did the first time. And yet we were blown away by Pandora. Um, it's, it's, it's not about the movie. It's not about the story. It's not about the characters per se. That world fits perfectly in Animal Kingdom. And it is drop-dead gorgeous. We loved every single second that we spent in Pandora. So sometimes taking that risk really does pay off. You just have to have, have, to have the courage to yes. take that risk and take that step. You, you, you do. And, you know, the same thing here at Disneyland. Uh, they shut down Tower of Terror in January uh, so that they could reimagine it around Guardians of the Galaxy. And everybody was just, you know, it, it, it's the end of the world. It's the apocalypse kinds of things. And then when it opened up in May, people were blown away by it. They, they absolutely love it. And then, you know, with the Star Wars land construction, the Disneyland Railroad was shut down for a year and a half. And, you know, they're destroying Walt's Park and, you know, he would roll over in his grave and, you know, Disneyland will never be the same. And then it opened up back in July and people are blown away by it. I, I, there's no way I would go back to the old Disneyland Railroad because the new rerouted version is so much better and mm-hmm. it's simply amazing. And these are just previews of what's coming with things like Star Wars Land. They know what they're doing and they're really, really good at it. Yeah, there's like this mentality. And even with the teams that Walt would put together, he always got the right people for the job. That he knew we're going to do something amazing. Even if they weren't sure that they could produce something amazing, they, they were able to do it. And I think this, uh, that's managed to stay somehow or other in the Disney company. There are people who can do amazing things. That they, they always seem to get the right teams together to produce these things. Despite any doubts or any naysayers, whatever they do is going to be amazing. Somehow or another, they might even find a way to alter the uh, the famous redhead in Pirates of the Caribbean and somehow amaze us with that. Because you know, that's one of the, I'm even uncomfortable about. It's like, why change it? But I know, I know. But you know, one of the last things Marty Scalar said uh, before he you know passed away was, um, you know, I I, I think this is going to be okay. And so I you know I, I I've learned not to react and respond. And to not feed into, you know, the internet frenzy that takes place. And that is to just, you know, trust Disney, um, you know, wait and see what happens and then go in with an open mind. And more often than not, you know, I, I'm, I'm happy with the end result, if not thrilled. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm holding my breath <laughs> until I see it. I'm like, I hope they don't change it because I, I would really hate to lose that Paul Freese narrator or character there with the auctioneer if they have to alter it in some fashion. Uh, that that would still break my heart. I gotta right. say. 
you know, going off of this discussion of uh, things changing, um, you know, you do make a, a point here in the book about, uh, you know, it, it's part of that transition that we all need to make in life, really. Things do change. We do have to, uh, you know, go from being a child to being an adult. And, you know, it leads to, you know, finding success in life and in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, change is hard. You know, it's it's a lot easier to just stay comfortable and stay exactly where you are. And whenever you're pushing your life to the next level, your dreams, your success to the next level, you're inevitably going to find uh, that you're fighting against resistance. And that's what you see in the parks as, you know, things come and things go and things get changed out. There's a lot of resistance that, you know, the Disney company faces. And I know for me, a lot of anxiety, you know, will it be what I love? Will it be what I remembered? Will it be as good as it as it once was? But, you know, you're you're either, uh, you know, growing or, or you're dying. And as we see the parks grow and change and evolve, which Walt said would happen as long as there was imagination left in the world, when you see the parks as a living uh, entity, they really are those models and that example of what we need to be recognizing that as long as there's imagination in our own life, we, like Disneyland or Walt Disney World, will in fact never be finished. Yep, and it reminds me of the old saying that a, a boat is only safe when it's sitting there in the harbor, and a boat is also never more useless than it's when it's sitting in the harbor. So you have to take the boat out, risk the storms, risk the rocks, whatever might happen to uh, yeah. accomplish that journey. Yeah, and you're not going to be perfect, and you're going to make some mistakes along the way, and you're going to have to pick yourself up after a failure or two, and that's okay. That That's how we learn. That's how we make progress. That's how we take our life to the next level. And I admit some of the mistakes in Beyond the Wisdom of Walt that I made in the first book. I would love to tell you it was perfect. It's not, and that's okay. There wouldn't be a second book if we hadn't have had the courage to risk bringing to market the first book. I already know that there's a couple of typos, let alone errors, in the second book. Um, <laughs> exactly. But at some point, you've got to say, you know what? Um, it's it's time to get this out of my head and into the marketplace. And if we've made a mistake, then we'll pick ourselves up, we'll correct it, we'll own it, and we'll, we'll move on continuing to push uh, towards something bigger and something better. And, and I think it's great that this wasn't a 20-year wait for this decision to be made. <laughs> Good point. Good point. <laughs> oh, goodness. Uh, so then, uh, uh, speaking of being on to bigger and greater things, uh, what do you think you're going to do next? Do you feel like uh, another book is coming on, maybe based off, I don't know, Hong Kong or, or Disneyland Paris? Well, I, you know, I, I am getting asked that question a lot, and I'm extremely sensitive to it because I would not wish writing or releasing a book on my worst enemy. However much <laughs> you think is involved, it, it, it's way more than that. And yet at the same time, you know, there's something that's really fun about it, and, and it's a passion, and, I, you know, we are, in fact, you know, living the dream, if you will, and I, I enjoy that creative process. So I'm not going to lie. In the back of my head, I already have this idea that, you know, The Wisdom of Walt really should be some sort of trilogy. And so the first book is a, is about Disneyland, and the second book is about Walt Disney World. What would you guys think of a book entitled The Worldwide 
wisdom of Walt. And we pick up those life and leadership lessons from Paris, from Shanghai, from Hong Kong, and from Tokyo. That'd be awesome. I think there's a lot of information that needs to be shared with the world about you know those parks and what it took to create them. Well, and, yeah. and, and Nikki, Nikki keeps telling me, you know, you can't write those books if we haven't been to those parks. So, yeah, I think it's <laughs> It just means you have a new adventure in front of you. Absolutely. Which, of course, is always worth it. You might even find some fun in what was almost built in Marceline, where he had actually acquired the, the farmhouse there through... Uh, I forgot, I forgot his name, but I've talked about this a lot of times. I've met the people up in Marceline. But he had been working to build a park based on the fact that he had, had loved the farm up there. And who knows if uh, if things had gotten a little bit further, if maybe he had lived a little longer or Roy hadn't have been so close and wanting to retire. Maybe something could have been built and could have been a great impact here in the Midwest. Yeah, um, that that is sort of an interesting project. And... What I've always kind of wondered, because Nikki and I, we were in Marceline two and a half years ago, and, and I, I've always wondered why Disney as a company, you know, hasn't had a little bit of a bigger presence there. Um, I, I know that the Hometown Museum is there, and, and it's great, and the people who run it do a fantastic job, but... At the same time, you know, it, it, it really could be so much more. And, you know, the way we experienced it, we were driving from Chicago. We spent the morning in Hannibal and then the afternoon in Marceline. And the difference between Hannibal and the way that it pays homage to Mark Twain versus Marceline and what little bit is there with regards to Walt was, was really quite striking. And I, I'm not sure if that's just about, you know, location and proximity to people um, but I, I would love to see Marceline, you know, become a bigger tourist thing than than what currently exists. And I'm actually working on a on a deal with the the hometown museum to possibly go out there uh, either next spring or, or, or next summer. But I w- I would really like to see the original Main Street USA sort of be restored as Main Street USA. Oh, yes. And in fact, uh, I don't know if they would have had this done uh, last time you were there, but they've actually uncovered the original Coca-Cola sign uh, and had it repainted so they know now what the real inspiration was for Coke Corner. Oh, yeah, that that is new. I had not seen that before. Oh, yes, and the museum has added a lot of things. I go up every year for Tune Fest, and I saw you talking on Facebook with Peter Whitehead when he suggested maybe coming in. I'm like, please, let this happen. <laughs> So now we're we're, we're gonna we're, we're gonna make that happen and um, you know, figure out a way to get both the wisdom of Walt and beyond the wisdom of Walt for sale in in, in their bookstores. In fact, um, sometime in the next month, the the books are going to be available at bookstores anywhere, and you'll probably be able to find it actually on bookstore shelves versus having to order it in bookstores around Orlando and Southern California. Although it'd be more fun to order it from you directly to get it signed and everything. That'd be really fun. Well, I mean, I certainly enjoy doing that. And so if your listeners are interested in a personally signed copy, all they have to do is go to The Wisdom of Walt, and there's a button that they can click for getting a personally signed copy. And there, of course, is a button for Amazon. And when you go to Amazon, you have your options for either the paperback version, the ebook version, or the audio version. And that's true for both books, The Wisdom of Walt, or the new book, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt. 
Awesome. So yeah, definitely everybody go and make sure you check out and get a copy of this. You're not going to regret it. Get both books. Uh, I tell you what, and it's not a speed read. This is something really, uh, because I'm still digesting stuff from the wisdom of Walt. There is so much in here that, you know, after each and each chapter, and I figure the new book is the same way. You have this little souvenir shop where you leave that little bit of that lesson and something kind of almost like a homework assignment, something for you to kind of chew on to uh, see about you can change in your life. Yeah. I I say in the introduction that, um, you know, Disneyland wasn't big enough to hold all of Walt's dreams. And so he moved on to Florida and had this dream for what became Walt Disney World. Well, the first book wasn't big enough to hold all of the life and leadership lessons that we need uh, to be successful and to see our own dreams come true. So we needed a, a, a new and different book. But just like the Magic Kingdom in Florida follows the same and similar layout as Disneyland, Beyond the Wisdom of Walt follows the exact same format of the original book, and that is we start with a story from the park, we talk about Walt, I share personal stories, and then we have the souvenir stop, or really kind of the homework section, where you get to apply what we're talking about to your own life and your own dreams, your own success, and then we end each chapter with a story from the parks and those are the hand stamp stories mm-hmm. and are usually the, the most memorable and most emotional stories in that particular chapter to really drive home whatever the life or leadership lesson might be yeah and it's very effective i must say <laughs> oh definitely definitely I've, I've found so many things that i want to incorporate in my own leadership style at work uh, just from reading this uh, as far as if anyone would like to get uh, an idea or a taste of uh, of what you've written is there any specials or discounts going on uh, at this time as uh, we'll be releasing this podcast on sunday the first of october well the, I'm, I'm i'm glad you asked because um next week is launch week for the brand new book beyond the wisdom of walt life lessons from the most magical place on earth and so to celebrate uh, the launch of the second book uh, for the first time ever we are going to be having the wisdom of walt the original book Um, It is going to be available for free to download in the Amazon Kindle store. And you don't even need a Kindle to read it. All you need is the Kindle app. And so you can read a best-selling book that has 82 five-star reviews on Amazon. You can download it and read it for free this week. You can do it on your iPad. You can do it on your phone. It, 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 it doesn't matter, but you need to do it by Thursday uh, because it's only good for five days. It's the first time we've ever done this and may well be the only time we do it. And it's part of the celebration of launching the second book. Oh, yeah, and a good way to pay it forward if you get this free copy, leave another good five-star Amazon review about the book. And then when you get Beyond the Wisdom of Walt, leave another five-star Amazon review for that because you're going to love the book. I'm I'm going to guarantee it, even though I haven't got a chance to read it yet. But I'm going through the first book. I know the second book has got to be just as amazing. So uh, definitely go to Amazon, leave that five-star review. It really does help out to get more people to check out this book. Uh, and well, this and- could be life-changing for some people. Yeah, and if your listeners read the first book, um, the feedback that I've gotten so far from early readers and early reviewers is they actually think the second book is better. So if, if you like, let alone love, the first book at all, um, I, I really would encourage you to pick up Beyond the Wisdom of Walt because um, it's it's more of the same and, and maybe like Walt Disney World, a little bit bigger and some could argue, I don't know, maybe a little better. Might be. 
And uh, you do have some other books out there on the market. Uh, and I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago you had mentioned on Facebook you actually got a royalty check for a book you forgot you had written. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a that's a textbook from an online class that I taught several years ago. Um, my PhD is actually in New Testament history, and so I wrote a book um, entitled "Jesus and the Gospel." A student's guide for understanding critical scholarship. So, if you've got a listener or two out there uh, who would be interested in what is very much an academic book, um, yeah, you can check that out on, on Amazon uh, through the Kindle uh, eStore as well. Um, but again, that's very much an academic book. And what I love about writing the Wisdom Walt and Beyond the Wisdom Walt is I actually don't write those in an academic voice at all. What I hear from readers all the time is that it is an easy read and it's very, very accessible. And that makes me really, really happy because that's the goal in the writing is to communicate as effectively and as directly as possible. Yeah, and it's very conversational and uh, yet very has a storytelling quality uh, because you do share some anecdotal things and about you know Albert, your Walter Ego, <laughs> which I thought amusing. And well, uh, he, he appreciates the shout out there. <laughs> and in fact, in the acknowledgments for the new book, I actually apologize to him uh, because Albert does not have a story in the new book and. My um, my alter or Walter ego isn't really very happy about that. <laughs> uh, and if you don't understand what we're talking about, that just gives you a good reason that you need to get both the wisdom of Walt and beyond the wisdom of Walt. It's a really good twofer. And with all of the leadership uh, instruction that I've been going through, this has really hit the nail on the head for me. And I really do appreciate the lessons that uh, I've learned through this book, and I'm really looking forward to reading The Wisdom of Walt as well to get that additional insight and perspective. Uh, Coming from a, uh, you know, just trying to get through a management position, uh, you know, at, uh, you know, within a small department, uh, this really has got some pretty unique and insightful lessons that I'm eager to use and implement with uh, the people that I work with. Well, thank you, Eric. What what I really try to do is, um, there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um, you know, Tony Robbins does a lot of great stuff. And, you know, some folks you mentioned, Ken Blanchard and, and uh, Simon Sinek. And what I what I really try to do is, is read as many of those books as possible mm-hmm. and fold them into stories and history and lessons from either Disneyland or Walt Disney World. And so if you're a Disney fan, but you're not interested in getting into Tony Robbins or if you know, you're a, a, a Disney fan, but you don't necessarily want to read, you know, Lee Cockrell's great leadership books, then read The Wisdom of Walt. I've done the reading for you and pulled out what I think are the best parts and applied them through a way that you can see them uh, through things that you already know, which are the parks that we love and the attractions that we experience over and over and over again. And so it's, it's really a personal development book that I think is accessible to everyone and especially accessible to the people who love going to Disneyland and Walt Disney World. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, now, you also, since you do a lot of speaking, is it possible through uh, on thewisdomofwalt.com for someone to try to book you for a speaking engagement as well? Absolutely. So we have had the, the privilege of traveling not just the country but, but actually the world 
speaking on the wisdom of Walt. And so if there is a, a group or a business that's interested in having a, a, a presentation, uh, you'll, you'll find the information that you need there. And we're really, really interested in groups that are coming to Anaheim. So if you already know that you're coming to Southern California, you've got a conference, you, you've got some sort of event, and your people are already excited because you're going to be just you know, a block or two away from Disneyland, uh, we're going to put together a, a keynote presentation that will be motivational, inspirational, but maybe more importantly, uh, entertaining and, and fun and informative. So, yeah, check us out at the Wisdom of Walt. Uh, dot com and you know we would love uh, to to make the wisdom wall a part of what you're doing and and help take you and your group and your company to the next level. Oh yeah, and I'm even thinking here at the University of Central Missouri, uh, we have a group and a fraternity or sort of thing based around Dell Carnegie because it's actually required reading uh, in certain classes to read uh, how to win friends and influence people. And Dell Carnegie's got a lot of interesting things. I'm thinking, wow, that would be a nice pair off after if you're studying stuff on Dell Carnegie, who was a graduate from the university, uh, to have someone like you come in and present your information on leadership. I think it kind of goes hand in hand. Well, I tell you what, when we go out to Marceline to do the book signing at the Hometown Museum, we just need to make it a State of Missouri tour. There you go. That's a great idea. I would love it. I would at least try to show up in the one in Marceline because that would be the more fun one. And then I can have you help me with a, with my book that's signed to somebody named Josh. You can scratch it off and put Jeremy down. <laughs> by, by the way, Eric, um, I am going to be speaking in Phoenix um, uh, next September. So we'll we'll have to try and plan on getting together while I'm out there next year. Oh, definitely. All right, yeah, and definitely let us know when that speaking engagement comes along so we can have some of our listeners come and show up because I'm sure they'd enjoy it. So, no, yeah, sounds good. All righty. Well, of course, you are welcome back anytime for anything you got going on. You just let us know, and we love having you on the show. So far, this is in two appearances. We, you get a third appearance, and we'll make you an official Lost Boy in Neverland. <laughs> Well, it sounds like I need to get uh, the worldwide wisdom of Walt written just so I can be a, a lost boy on the Neverland podcast. Exactly. And then we'll, we'll even put you on the page there. We'll give you a nickname. <laughs> All right. But thanks so much for coming on the show again. This was really, really great. And thanks for writing these yes, books. Thank you. Well, thank you. And again, congratulations on your 200th podcast. And, you know, listeners, check us out at thewisdomofwalt.com. And um, would would love to either uh, send you a book or possibly do some meetups either at Disneyland or Walt Disney World. Awesome. Thank you for listening to the Neverland Podcast. We invite you back next week for more fun and adventure. Until then, remember to keep a pixie in your pocket. It's that young at heart, positive attitude that you can share with others. And remember to visit our website at NeverlandPodcast.com. There you can find links to our news page, our shop, our contact page, where you can easily send an email to podcast at NeverlandPodcast.com. You can also find our Neverlanders page, where you can find out how to become an official Lost Boy or Pixie, because girls are too clever to get lost. Become a real Neverlander! Please feel free to leave us a voicemail at 816-226-6492. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at NeverlandPCast. And like our Neverland Podcast fan page on Facebook. We also have a group on Facebook for you to join. We also appreciate your support to keep the Neverland Podcast up and running. Visit Patreon.com slash NeverlandPodcast to donate to Keeping the Pixie Dust Alive. 
Copyright content featured on the Neverland podcast is copyright of their respective creators and used under fair use license. All original content is copyright of Blue Band Productions and a very special thanks to Yeehaw Bob Jackson at yeehawbob.com for our new ending music. God bless! Yeah! Hello everybody, this is Yeehaw Bob Jackson. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, we love you. Neverland Podcast, it's true. Neverland Podcast, we love you. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.